Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. Uh, you got me and Frank across from each other. From uh, left to right on your radio dial, we have the great South Cox with stalker stick bows in the office. And uh, so, South, I've, from what I understand, you have been busier than, uh, you know what, I won't even say that because I'll get in trouble. You've been super busy. You've been busy with the bows, huh? Yeah. No, it's been great. Um, we put a catalog out. Oh, I think it was in February, and that always generates a lot of interest. And then I think just the kind of the surge of interest in traditional archery in general uh, between the two of those things, man, it seemed like we were answering the phones more than we were building bows there for a couple months. So it's uh, it's kind of started to slow down a little bit now as far as the orders coming in, but we're you know neck deep in sawdust now, going like crazy. So yes, the hashtag trad life has definitely picked back up again. It seems like did you end up finding a new guy because I know you're looking for a new guy back last time you were yeah. here. Yeah, no, that uh, it worked out great. I got a ton of um, of interest in that job position and it was kind of funny. The very first person that applied um, is the guy that ended up getting the job and and had a lot of, um, you know, qualified people with a lot of, you know, big varied um background there. But uh, we ended up hiring a guy out of, out of uh, geez, Ohio. Yeah, and he had actually coincidentally moving here to the area already, so it worked out really well. No, that's that's good. I uh, good help is always hard to hard to find. Even yeah. uh, even here, I think there's more jobs than people in Colorado <laughs> now. And yeah. people say I can't find a job. I'm like, well, that's a personal problem, right? There's a lot, a lot of work going We've on. Had some that's interesting the truth. interesting interviews here. Oh, good lordy, we had one guy come in recently that I mean. It was like hide the women and kids, right? Like, I'm like, geez, I mean, the thing, it, what goes on in someone's mind in an interview and they don't talk? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was kind of awkward. You know, Me you Aaron, had that. Aaron like, are looking at each other and we're like, uh, yeah, he just looked like this the whole time. So. And I was like, I was like, please don't kill me, sir. I'm going to go postal. Holy shit. Well, Lord. Yeah. Well, no, that's uh, that's good. You went over to New Zealand too, didn't you? Uh, Australia. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. I forgot all about that one. That was like, that was only a few months ago, but it seems like it was a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great show there in Australia. There's a, uh, man, the Australian people, um, in fact, it was pretty funny because I, I made this comment in the, in the, uh, company of a Canadian. Uh, I said, you know, the Canadians are great people as well. Super nice people. I, I've never met a Canadian I didn't like, but I, I was saying that, man, I think that Australians are even nicer than Canadians. And he took great offense to that one, but <laughs> yeah, they're fantastic people. And, and man, the amount of hunting opportunity that there is in Australia just blows me away. And the amount of experience they're able to gain in, um, you know, relatively short period of time, just for, you know, in, in measured in years there, I think it rivals, you know, what we'll get in a lifetime of experience just from, you know, if you, if you get to go play golf, you know, year round, you know, every, every week, then you're going to be get, become a pretty proficient golfer versus if, if your golf experience is, is uh, restricted to, you know, August and September, like most of us get to bow hunt, then uh, the amount of, you know, how proficient you can become at that, um, it's going to take a lot longer. And those Australians, man, they've got some killers down there. That's for sure. I think isn't Australia about the size of the U.S., but 
with the population of like LA or something like that? Yeah, I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> I, I've heard that. Is that true? I, I haven't looked at the land mass to compare them, but I, I don't think that that comparison is probably too far out of line there. But yeah, it's, I mean, there's a vast part of Australia that is largely uninhabitable, but there's, you know, along the coastlines, particularly the East Coast there, that's where the bulk of the population is there. And um, the hunting there, man, the, I went, so I went four years ago to the bow show, or it's actually, it's a hunting show, the deer hunting show four years ago. And I, and I got the opportunity to do some pig and goat hunting there. And, um, it was pretty funny as we were driving to the place that we were hunting, I was talking to the guy that I was riding with and he's like, yeah, I got, you know, permission to hunt on another, um, another ranch. Uh, but it's just, you know, a little, little too small and i was like well how big is it and he's like ah it's only like twelve thousand acres <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and the one we were going to was not a large one and it was fifty thousand. wow so it's just insane how big that prop you know how big that country is and I mean, we drove for i don't know 12 hours to go to the spot we were going to go hunting and that was a you know relatively close uh in proximity to the area that they lived as far as what they considered that's crazy yeah i i work with the uh... And I say work with that. I wear some of that Swazi gear from whatever mm-hmm. New Zealand. But as far as like people being nice, like yeah. it's hard not to get off the phone with them. One, I yeah. am slightly aroused with that that uh, <laughs> accent. I like it. And so uh, when I you know talking to them or whatever, and then you know it's just it's it's and they're always super pleasant. They're always very nice. And uh, you know, Davey, the guy that owns it, he's hunted everywhere right like all over the place and so talking with him on some of the different adventures i mean and then there is a word that they use um which is see you next tuesday which is equivalent to like for us saying the or at or whatever (laughs) because they drop that constantly where you can't use that word over here it's not as accepted in america (laughs) Uh and i talked to al kidner's one yeah he'll say that all and i'm like huh it's just not the same here. I do that. I'm going to get smacked. Right, but yeah, right. just uh, some of the different things. That's the cat's ass. Um, what dog, else? Dog nuts. Yeah. <laughs> they, they got all the different things that, yeah, not used to. But we were supposed to go this year and we had a military order come through. We had to actually adult and uh, work on that. We we're um, actually sorry, supposed to leave tomorrow. Yeah. We're going to have uh, to go. That hurts. Yeah. Go next year. Um, I think I'm going to. You're going to Idaho, right? Going to Idaho on June 21st. Yeah. And I'm going to go with uh, tons of fun on the 27th um, with Ryan Avery. We're going to backpack Uh in. The thing what's nice about that, even though he may be lobbing 338 rounds over my head, is if I blow the stock. Right. Something's hitting the dirt. (laughs) Oh, yeah. At 800 yards away, he's going to – I told him, I'm like, as long as you can see me, fire away. (laughs) Just don't shoot me. (laughs) So it'll be interesting. But, you know, talking about like with – you know, Ryan and, uh, you know, we were talking earlier, the way that, you know, someone like Ryan was raised and you were raised, uh, same with me, where obviously a totally different time frame um, or place and space in life compared to now where you said you were you were born in an army tent. Yeah, born in a six-man army tent. You know, my, my uh, parents were throwback hippies back there in the day and didn't uh, have much money to to uh, to speak of. And it was, wasn't until I was 18 until I had, you know, real electricity and flush toilet and all that and running water in some instances. You got me beat on that one. Um, we were poor, but not quite at that level. Uh, but... You learn things at a young age, I, I feel, that 
I, I mean, I, obviously everybody can't be poor in life, but um, hard work is one of the things <laughs> that I definitely learned. I was also an asshole kid, but when you're cold, if you don't split firewood, you pretty much are going to have to split firewood, right? Whether you want to or not, or if you have to go out in the garden and, uh, you know, grab carrots and tomatoes or whatever for your dinner, well, you're going out and, and then you got to take care of the garden or whatever. And you, it sounds like you were even at a whole new level from where I was at. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's funny, you know, you, as an adult, you appreciate the upbringing you had just because of what you learn and, and uh, the skills that you attain and what have you. But um, it, it's funny, there's not, you don't, as, as a, a person in society, you don't um, aspire to be poor to go through those learning experiences. <laughs> Why can't I just be poor, Mom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take my car. You you don't, but I got to say, I wouldn't change a whole lot. And my dad's relationship and I is not great, but it made me tougher um, yeah. way to look at it. And, you know, you don't have running water um, until you're 18 and electricity. I bet you appreciate the hell out of it now. It makes you definitely appreciate what you've got. Yeah. Most of the time I had running water, but there were times when my parents homesteaded um, more times than I care to remember. So there's a lot of brush clearing and house building. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. So uh, there was those times when, yeah, when I didn't have running water. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I certainly appreciate, um, you know, turning on the faucet and I, it, it doesn't come from magic out of thin air. I, I I know where the water comes from, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, another thing I've, I've brought up to try to, you know, like as an, an analogy, when you leave the house to pack your pack and you have... Uh, you want to make sure your broadheads are sharpened, right? Mm -hmm. Razor sharp and everything's spinning true and your bow's dialed and whatever. You can different things with gear. But, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Well, if you fired your arrows and you find one stuck in the dirt, the man with one broadhead that can be sharpened is king, right? Meaning resourcefulness, I guess yep. you could say. Like, you know, you... Yeah, uh, it, it, at one point in time when you're at your house and everything is, is uh, readily available and yeah. then you go out... And uh, let's say your bootlace breaks and uh, the only cord you have is, let's say, the cord off your hooded sweater to tie your boots or whatever. I don't think people look at things like that nowadays, meaning a lot of things are taken for granted. So it's it's so easy to attainable to just grab at it to where maybe when you were raised without a lot of that stuff, you, you, you learn to kind of reinvent the wheel on different things. Where I remember you, I was laughing, you rebuilt your arrow rest with dental floss once because mm -hmm. you're, right? Most people probably wouldn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, I laugh because I had to use it for a knocking point once. Right. Um, so, but I mean, I think a lot of that it goes along the lines with yeah. how you were raised, being resourceful. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that has really helped me kind of get to the spot where I am at in my life is just drawing on those experiences as a kid and and um, kind of developing this mentality that, you know, when you – you're going to run into problems in life, but it's a, the matter of how you look at them and what perspective and what kind of the way I've chosen to look at it is a problem is an opportunity to find a solution. It's not a barrier um, to success. You hear so, that, Frank? No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> 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 you're right, though. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's hard to look at it, though. You know, sometimes, but I mean, that's definitely, I mean, that is a very good way to, way to look at it. I think, you know, a lot of people, they, you know, say something they're using breaks or they're working on, they're building something and it breaks or it's not going 
the way that you expect it to. Um, a lot of people get pissed off, and you know, I mean that's the kind of the natural reaction is to get upset. But if you if you look at it from the perspective of you just you have a you know it's like a Rubik's cube, you just have to find the solution to the problem. And and being upset and and putting that kind of uh, energy into being angry or it's just wasted. I mean, it's not going to help you through your through your situation and instead, you know, just immediately channeling that, um, that frustration or that energy into finding a solution to it, it's going to be much more productive and it's going to get you out of your predicament a lot faster. Yeah, no, that's for sure. You know, one of the things like, uh, the kid we hunted moose with, he was Mm -hmm. our, our guy, Devin, right. But I know who raised Devin. So at 19, this kid, I'm pretty sure he could you know, build a tractor out of some shit in the front yard, right? He can't, <laughs> yeah. it just, but it was, you know, we had to boil the moose skulls, you know, and I'm like, I'm looking around and the first thing you think of when you're from the city generally is let's go to the store and buy what we need. Right. Um, you know, fully admitted. That's the first thing I'm like, let's head to Prince George. And Devin's like, well, I got a sawzall. And immediately my head, <laughs> like, I'm like, all right, we can make shit happen. Right. You got a uh-huh. sawzall, so <laughs> you can do a lot with the sawzall. Yeah, well, well, we did. We we looked around. We, f- we found a barrel. <laughs> so next thing, yeah, we're cutting it down. And now I'm like, man, we need a stand. And we're looking around, and Devin finds this old stand. And next thing you know, we got a bonfire underneath this barrel, and the moose skulls are in there. And what? Not that that's like survival, but. My initial thing is let's head into, you know, whatever and go buy everything we need. And then and then the next thing you know, obviously, we saw us all in the hell out of buckets and building bonfires to, to boil the skulls. Well, there's other things, too, like you get stuck, right? You can get unstuck pretty easily with some elbow grease and hard work, or you can call a tow truck. If you don't have the money to call a tow truck, yeah. you can put some serious fucking effort <laughs> into not getting, un- getting unstuck. And I, I mean, I've been there to the point now I am a master at getting unstuck because I was too poor all the times when you're, when you're stuck. Right. Um, well, I mean, and you know, from, you know, you get somebody, for example, that drives up and has never been stuck before. And next thing you know, they're just sitting in their car and this has happened a lot waiting for somebody to come. And literally in five minutes we had them out. And I'm like, you sat here for nine hours. (laughs) You didn't do anything. Like you didn't even throw some leaves and branches under the tire or whatever. And I think that's, that's how they were raised, right? right? They didn't have to figure it out. Yeah. No, I mean, if you don't have the tools, if you early on, if you don't kind of start developing those tools or that mindset, then, um, you know, and you're kind of used to being able to just make a phone call or, or order it online or whatever your solution is, then, um, your, your mentality just totally takes a different direction. You think that it has to do with like society nowadays where kids are parents and are always wanting their kids to succeed and not, they're never failing yeah. at anything. So they're not learning from any, any type of failure. Bailing them out. Are you and, talking about participation trophies? Well, that's actually what I was, was going to get to is participation <laughs> trophies. People don't know what it's like to lose anymore and learning how to overcome the, the failures, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's funny, um, you know, as, as a parent, um, you always, you know, want your kid to have a better life than, than you had. I think that's kind of only natural as a parent, but I think that so many times, like, I mean, my kids' lives are way different than my life was growing up and, and they don't have near the hardship or challenge that I, that I did. And uh, I mean, and in some level, you know, that you're doing them a disservice, but you're trying not to make them suffer, <laughs> you know, quote unquote, suffer to the degree that, that you did as a kid yourself. 
Yeah, I mean, I know from for for my end or whatever, we didn't have a lot of money, so I worry. You know, I want Kaylee to have cool stuff, but on the other hand, I've had people actually talk to me because of things I've said to her that they didn't think was overly nice, mm-hmm. and I'm like, and. Kaylee knows how I am. You met Kaylee. Like we're going up to fire road and she just lays up, just stops. I can't deal with that, right? And I mean, at one time I walked by and I shouldn't cuss at my kid, but I was like, Kaylee, suck it the fuck up and get to the hill. Like you're not tired. You run track. Like <laughs> yeah. you're just, all right, dad. And she laughed and went up the hill where I didn't want her to get the idea that it was okay to just stop right. because she didn't want to, to go or whatever. By no means you should cuss at your kid. Obviously, my kid and I have a great relationship, but I try to make it like with her in that case to where like when we go backpacking, she knows you got to get firewood to have a fire. I don't just have her sit there and, you know, wait till we build it. I want, of course, she's a pyromaniac, so she loves building fire, but, or the shelter. I mean, and you, well, you weren't there the first time we went. I mean, immediately that kid's breaking out all her stuff. I want her to know that rather than wait for mommy and daddy to Put, lay everything out for and I, th- I mean hopefully I'm doing the right thing here but I mean, you got a whole pile of kids now don't you yeah yeah I, um, it's actually I, I was gonna bring up a story related to that uh, you know similar so my wife and I four years ago adopted three kids and so we already had three of our own but they had uh, they're pretty well grown by now a couple of them graduated from college and in one more in the middle halfway through college now but the younger ones um we, uh, my wife and I, you know, are fairly active. And, and so when we first got the, the kids, we took them on a walk. My wife walks a lot. And, and, uh, so she was, this was back in California. She's took them on like a mile walk and, and all of them were whining. And I mean, you thought that they were, you know, getting on the, on a death march through the desert or something. <laughs> and, and in fact, the older one, it was hilarious. He's like, my heart's going to explode. You have to take me to the hospital. I mean, seriously. Seriously said this, right? And now they're doing so. We're, you know, we live in Estes, that's about 7,500 feet in elevation. And before we were at, you know, 200 feet in elevation. So just the elevation alone is makes it more challenging from a physical standpoint. But now they're, we do, you know, routinely do a five mile walk with them and they're running ahead of us now. Yeah. And just the difference in, you know, the, if you push your kid, they're going to respond. But if you let them sit on their ass and play video games, they're never going to be challenged. Yeah. And uh, and I'm I just refuse to allow my kids to become that soft. Yeah. Well, remember when we were climbing? Or was it you, me, and Colton? We were climbing up to that. We were trying to get to a glassing point, and she was going. And you know the thing was, I'm pissing sweat, and she's not sweating at all. She's got several gears left. Mm-hmm. She's like, Dad, it's really steep. I could fall. And I gave her that look, and I'm like, Yeah, I remember. Kaylee, get to the top of the fucking hill. (laughs) She was like, Okay, fine. But, you know, so she she still tries to, you know what I mean, like push it. But, you mean, she, I mean, for for me, like from when, you know, being raised, because I'm divorced by two separate, um, total different parenting structures. Um, and my, my ex does a great job with her, but one being obviously a lot more indoors and dinners and whatever. And then the other one being with Frank and I, right. Yeah. Totally different. You know what I mean? Like the ideal of fun with them, maybe going to the water park where Frank and I or Amy will go to the archery range with her and then we'll go on a hike and then we'll go take photos of animals. It's totally different. So in the, in the interim of all that, I wanted her to teach her to eat right, right. The healthy Mm -hmm. food and how that works. And 
she got to be a she was a little fat kid there for a little bit. She gained I don't do you remember she mm. there was like a point in time around fourteen or fifteen and I don't know if she found boys or what, but that kid's got a six pack now, like super fit, like into track. And so when she comes out here and we go to shoot or we go to do whatever, the if I would have rewound, I guess what I'm getting at is pushing her has seemed to help quite a right. bit. Um, where I look at other kids that truthfully, yeah, play Nintendo all day. And yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, that kid won't get off the phone unless I make her. She'll play on the phone all day when you're not doing anything. But what's good is when I say, hey, let's go on a hike, she throws the phone down and we go, yeah. you know, hiking, which is totally different. We didn't have cell phones. Like, yeah. Well, we on this side of the right. table didn't have cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't, I don't think I got a cell phone until I was like a senior in high school. Yeah. What year was that? Oh, seven. Good God. <laughs> we were talking the other day. What movie was it? I don't know. You were three? Oh, um, Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter. He's like, I was like 10, and I looked, and it was came out in like 91. Was, uh, yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's just definitely <laughs> different. I mean, and not just different, too, with age, but also where you're where you're at or how you're raised, you know what I mean? Or as yep. far as location. But one thing you, you had brought up earlier before we got on air, like hiking the, the PCT, the Pacific crest trail. Now, did you do all of it? No. So, um, I've, you know, I've looked at it for years on maps and, and, uh, my first acquaintance, um, to the trail was, uh, back in, I want to say it's 1989. Um, I was hike, uh, hunting in the Marble Mountains and came up onto the trail and saw this kind of weird triangular shape, and it said Pacific Crest Trail. And and that night when I was back in camp, I was looking at my national forest map there and and a wilderness map, and it said you know had a little blurb about the Pacific Crest Trail since it went through the middle of the wilderness area there. And then that's kind of when I first became aware of it. So for people that don't know, it's uh, it's a trail. It runs north to south, starts at the Mexico border and runs all the way to the Canadian border, um, continuous is 2,650 miles. And so there are people that through hike it in one season, and there's actually been, you know, guys that have uh, what's called a yo-yo, where you hike it all the way to the north and then turn around and hike it back in one season. So, you, you know, you're doing over 5,000 miles in, in, you know, a single hiking season. But anyway, when, uh, when I met my wife, I, you know, I kind of told her in passing of my interest of hiking this trail. And, and uh, so she had suggested that instead of doing a honeymoon that we section hike this trail. So every year uh, we would knock off another section and those range from anywhere from 90 to 150 miles. So we started um, the year after we got married at the Mexico border and started hiking it. And then the next year we'd pick up where we left off. And so we did that uh, until we got about 700 miles into it, and and uh, then that following summer, I had I had some bad back problems. So I wasn't able to do it, and then we ended up adopting the kids, and that kind of derailed us from our hike. But during that time, I've I've got a lot of backpacking experience over the years. But even then, when you look at hiking, you know, 150 miles um, in a week, it seems daunting. Um, but one of the things I was able to learn, you know, from the experience was, you know, when you're hiking 16 to 25 miles in a day, um, all of a sudden going from a trailhead to, you know, th what I would 
back in the day, you know, six or seven miles back in was a pretty good poke. And now, you know, going 10 miles back in even doesn't seem all that far and just kind of building up that, uh, that mental, um, you know, crossing those mental barriers, I guess there. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I agree. I've only done the, the Oregon portion in, in, uh, I was talking earlier, like I, I was on a trail crew team when I was in high school each summer and we would do like 10 to 12 miles a day and with, you know, we'd have cross cut saws and, and, um, loppers for trimming the trail basically, which, you know, as a, as a, as a kid, you know, you don't know, I mean, really you don't know anything, but you, you certainly don't know that that is considered if I would have known most parents would not let their kids even do that nowadays right, just because, you know, right. we're falling trees with crosscut saws and shit, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, old growth. And I mean, I was raised basically with a double-bladed axe in my hand. I mean, and not on a, saying this is a manly standpoint, but I mean, I needed money because my parents didn't have, buy school clothes, right? Yep. That's what we did. And we, we'd pick mushrooms, right? Fiddleheads, um, which I, most people, I don't know what a, do you know what a fiddlehead is? <laughs> you remember what you said in BC? Hmm. Fiddleheads and swizzle dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you're picking all these things for money, right? Yeah. And, and uh, it, the forest provides that shit, right? And so kind of adding to what you're talking about as far as, um, you know, the, the miles, right? You, you mentally prep yourself for the miles or, you know, if you've if spent the summer, you know, doing things like that to where, you know, you kind of look at it in perspective. Like I'm out here for fun, right? I'm here complaining, thinking about going back. Like this is my fun time. Right. Like, what the hell? Um, not to say it's not miserable at some points, which, I mean, I think that's somewhat why we all do it is the challenge. But I think, uh, you know, talking like, again, when we were talking about earlier, prepping yourself for that, if you're planning to come out and go on a backpack hunt, doing some long distance hikes, getting your gear prepped, kind of figuring out, you know, what you need and what you don't need and what's going to work for you. I mean, most guys, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, that I, I, I talk to, same with Frank, we can generally cut 15 pounds at a minimum off their gear list, if not mm -hmm. more. Um, yeah. Well, it's because they've never done it. Obviously, nothing wrong with that. But when you do it every day and you do it, you know, pretty frequently, and if, you're, if your field craft is pretty good or your woodsmanship, there's a lot of things you, you probably don't need. And I know you go probably lighter weight than we do. We get killed. Camera gear yeah. crushes us. But yeah. Food. Yeah, food definitely. God, I eat a lot. How much do you eat when you're back there? A day. You know, I find that um, that I generally overpack my food, and then my wife always complains because <laughs> I will get on a, a ration kick, afraid that I'm going to, you know, super paranoid, I'm going to run out of food, and we'll end up with a third of the food that we brought that we'll end up, you know, bringing back out with us. <laughs> and it, it makes her so mad every time. But I, I find that um, a lot of times I don't eat as much as I you know, at least think I would and, and, uh, as much as I do at home even. Yeah. We don't suffer from that dilemma. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. If we go hunting together, I might start looking at you and like, uh, envisioning the chicken right. leg, like <laughs> on a cartoon. <laughs> I don't know how much we eat, but it's, it's a shitload. Um, but I mean, I know I can handle less, but without going out and kind of seeing that or, or, or getting that experience of how, what your caloric intake is, um, I mean, you're probably going to, probably going to overpack. I mean, I don't know too many people that, that underpack, but, um, I mean, it starts to get pretty heavy. What is your, I mean, I know you use llamas sometimes, obviously, but if you're going on, let's say a seven day, you know, backpack hunt, what do you think kick, kicking out the camera gear? What do you think uh, that weighs? I, I'm not a super fanatical ultralight guy, but, uh, you know, so I'll do a tent 
versus going with lighter or I'll do, you know, I do a sleeping pad and a, you know, inflatable pillow and I do take some luxury items. Um, I think, you know, if I'm talking spotting scope and tripod, my pack weight's usually around 60. Yeah. Um, before I add any water. Yeah. So, you know, if I, yeah, for a week long trip, probably 60 pounds, something like that. So, I mean, it could certainly be lighter, but it definitely could run heavier for sure. That's pretty close to where you were at 55 that one time, but you were pretty freaking Spartan. I can go pretty light, but yeah, sometimes I like to bring the luxury items as well. Yeah. I've used thing- a tarp for so long though. I don't really consider that to be a drawback for me personally, but like I'll take the solo this weekend for the fishing trips. A lot of the fishing trips, I like to bring the tent just to have that extra, I guess, um, Insulation, insulation, and enclosure, and you feel a little bit more comfortable in there. But for I hunting, I'm, I'm like a tarp guy. Amy's digging on the bivy. Really? Fuck, she loves it. I wow. couldn't believe. I got her. Well, it's a hooped bivy though. Uh-huh. It's not a yeah. full-on Gore-Tex coffin, but uh, it's a hooped bivy. It's a big Agnes three wire. I told her because Danny Clem and I were talking about this the other day because like the the difference between um, the different shelters and the weight and everything like. I don't like to run a bivy all the time, but when I do, generally it's on some crazy-ass scouting or hunting trip right. where I'm probably sleeping in a deer bed or yep. whatever. Um, but then there's other times where I really like a tent. I mean, there's fucking – I work for a or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes a tent is just nice. And there was uh, one trip I was with Joe Bott, and uh, we backpacked in, and I looked at the weather. It did not look appealing. Um I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to grab, I grabbed a, a Hilleberg onion and huge vestibule, way more than I needed, right? It was about four pounds. Buck, it rained a lot. And he brought a super tarp and uh, no bivy, no uh, nothing, I... no trees, right? Nothing to hide <laughs> behind. And, Did you uh, have an annex? No. Oh, no. Well, that's really screwed uh, up. And, you know, he didn't get, nothing got wet on the inside, but when you're jammed up for, you know, eight hours a day and it clears up a little in the afternoon for glassing, there's going to be times where... A tent's pretty nice, but then there's other times where, you know, I've went to to pitch up and, you know, my I got my thing pitched and I'm glassing out of the front of it and I got a sunshade and everything else where yep. it's a little bit better, you know, in my opinion, than a, than a tent. Sure. But there's certainly not – there's not a one do-all, in my opinion. There's not one that does everything. There, now, you can use – like I know you used to use the Hubba quite a bit. Yep. Um, there's there's certain ones that you can cover, I don't know, 80% of what you do. Um but I, I tell you, there's certain times where I've brought the wrong shelter and I'm thinking, motherfucker, what yeah. was I thinking? Jesus. But you've you've had you only you said you had one come down on you, I think, in high wind or two. something. Two. Yeah. And I mean I know people hear that and they think, Oh my God, but that's actually not too bad in the weather that high winds are bad, dude. Yeah. That's that's what crushes them or it has. Is that what killed yours? Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, the, that above timberline, um, you know, camping in the bottom of a bowl or basin there and, and, uh, and then, you know, get the wind whipping over the top of the ridge and, and, you know, when you're up at 12,000 feet and, and there's no trees, there's not a lot of stop that wind when it starts to get going. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing though. One year, uh, that buck we were talking about earlier, I, I went in and I, I brought a, the paracoffin, right? The paratarp. It's not a real big shelter. Well, it rained. I think I went eight miles in. It rained four of them. Yeah. The last four. I was just soaked to the bone. <laughs> Everything was wet. And I, you know, I ended up stopping above tree line and fi- I stopped. I wasn't even where I was supposed to go. I just couldn't take it anymore. And I'm like, all right. So I, you know, laid everything out or whatever, and everything is just soaked. And so, you know, I'm laying in there, right? And it's it's just piss pounding. And I'm like, I got service. I'm looking and I'm like, 
well, it looks like around 2.30, I can dry my shit out. And, Order uh, a pizza. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm laying there, try, kind of laying everything out, getting ready. And then the moment the sun came out, it looked like the Clampets. I mean, like a, a gypsy. I mean, I had shit scattered everywhere trying to dry my you know my stuff out and some hikers came through and uh you know they were whatever we've talked for a few minutes there were those guys doing peak to peak to peak to peak and uh they had a camel back on and uh nothing and i was like wow i said you guys know that there's storms coming through here right and and uh they anyway extremely long story short as i'm glassing i'm actually probably glassing them at a comedy more than the deer and they got three peaks past me and the second storm came in and man, a lightning was hitting and everything else. And I, you know, I watched them come off the face of this down a shale field and they're in shorts and tennis shoes, right? Oh my. I'm thinking, man, there is no way these guys are going to be okay out of all of this. And I saw one tumble at least 40 feet rolling down when <laughs> they were coming down, trying to get away from the lightning. Uh, there's no really moral to this story other than I was like, my God, this is how people die, right? Yeah. Well, you were with us when we found all those lost runners, weren't you? Yeah. What was there like eight of them? Dude, you, were like, you would have we laughed. Were scouting right? and they, they come up. Are you guys lost too? We're like, uh, no. <laughs> Dude, they were so they were at least a quarter to a half mile off the trail, right? Because it was around a around a, a huge basin, and then the other side was the trail, and they were, they were getting, in the in the in the woods basically. I was getting pissed at the guy because he was like super alpha male, and uh, I'm like, Dude, you're fucking lost. Wasn't man. he like he's like hey, I used to be in the Air Force or something? He's yeah, and then so I get the map out, and I'm like, okay, you're you're right here. So he goes to his comrades and says, well, this guy thinks we're here. Uh, and I said, no, I don't think you're here. You're right here, okay? The trail, you, that canyon you were, you're on the wrong side. You got to go up the other side. And I said, and where you're going is like four foot deep muskeg and swamp. And they kept saying, well, we're ultra marathon runners. And I'm like, yeah. I, they looked beat too. Uh, that chick, I think, yeah. wanted to stay with us. Like yeah. you could see when they all left, she kept looking back like. Uh, save me. <laughs> oh, it was, it, I mean. <laughs> We were glassing and we can hear Dale, Bill. <laughs> and I'm like, what the? F-? And then they come out and there's one coming and he's hiking straight up and we're trying to assess what they're doing. And right. I'm like, what did I say the one time? Maybe they're just coming up to sign the bottle at the top of the mountain. Uh-huh. You know, I'm thinking and they were lost. So again, you took photos or whatever. I'm trying to show them and they pull out this paper map. They Xerox. Oh, no. And, they're, and I'm like, and about the fifth time the guy said we're ultra marathoners, I was like, why do you keep telling me that? Like, uh, <laughs> it's great you can run far, but so they ended up taking off trying to run all of it anyway. Yeah. That was a kind of a cool thing because you were teaching us whatever navigation yeah. and the stuff that you know. And then all of a sudden they came up and we saw him actually use it. It was, it was cool. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, like navigation as we're talking about all this, that is a definitely a lost art, um, and something that most people, I don't know how many guys I've found are like turning in circles with the compass. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh-huh. Like, North is only one way, brother. That doesn't point where I need to go. And I'm like, no, man, you're not uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. Right. It doesn't point to what <laughs> you want. It doesn't revolve around you. <laughs> yeah. Are you you pretty good on navigation? I'm all right. You know, I mean, I, I've uh, gotten myself turned around a, a few times, but it's largely that happens when you get fogged in or, or you know, clouded in. Um, but I'm the, the problem that I run into is I'm I'm pretty confident in my direction, but when I screw up, 
then it takes me a while to realize I screwed up because I'm confident in, in being able to find my way in and out. Yeah. And so that's when you can really screw yourself up. But, you know, when you're uh, hunting above timberline for mule deer, it's pretty easy to figure out where you're at because you're usually up above everything. And so you can get a pretty good idea where you're at. When you drop into the timber and you're hunting elk yeah. and you can't see anything, that's where you can start running into problems. Yeah. That, that, it wasn't like life or death, but, uh, Brian and I up up there were yeah. Anyway, we're in BC. No, in Colorado. Oh, okay. uh, and it's how fast it can change. We could have been in deep trouble, but I had uh, just the uh, I had it marked on my GPS the 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 tent and it's above tree line and we were in the timber staying above uh, for elk. And uh, a storm came in as bad as I've seen it, and uh, it's snowing and probably forty mile an hour winds. I can't see shit, and I'm looking at my watch for the the altitude so when i hit that eleven thousand two hundred foot benchmark yeah i was just gonna side hill and, and it should have been there and i was right. too lazy i didn't get my rain gear out and uh, i didn't get my compass or gps out and it got to a point and i turned around and i said dude i am fucking lost <laughs> and he's like what and i said I passed it. There's no way. And I mean, it's blowing that hard. I'm like, get your GPS out. And I said, or grab mine. And it was funny because I was literally like 250 feet. We couldn't see the tent. And at this time, there's nothing dry on me. And I'm shivering. Hands are cold. And he was like, do you think it's below us? And I was like, I think. I'm like, dude, we got to turn the GPS on. And I'm getting pelted. And Brian's looking at me. And I can see his just whacking the eyes with <laughs> hail. And I was like... You know, he's, he asked, he's like, should we build a fire? And I was like, I said, well, if we can't find camp, we're going back in the Timberline. I'm building a bonfire because I mean, we were soaked. But we got back into camp and there was nothing. The next morning, you know how it is, putting yeah. on wet boots, wet, wet oh, pants, wet so everything. Miserable. Yeah, it was horrible. And I mean, the thing was, is like the part of that wasn't the smarts to pull out the GPS early enough because I thought I could find it. But that barometric pressure change yeah. changed my altitude of my watch mm. by – yeah, enough to where I wasn't on the money when I came out. But I've put I've screwed myself over multiple times to where I pushed it too far, knowing a storm's coming. Right, and then you can't see. Um, I don't. What's uh, some of the crazier shit you've had going on when you were back there? Because I mean, I know obviously you. I'm sure you've got some good ones. <laughs> yeah, well, one of my favorite stories actually doesn't involve me, but one of my hunting partners, um, Lon Lobber. I don't know if you know Lon. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. So he uh, he used to live in Alaska. I think he lived up there for 17 years. Killed five um, five uh, doll sheep with his bow, and and uh, you know shot just tons of animals, and a lot of backpack hunting experience. And he was up on a sheep hunt uh, at one point, and got. Um, fogged in you know there towards the evening and the fog was so bad you couldn't see you know 50 feet in front of you and this is i don't know if this was back in the day before gps but he didn't have one and this is a long time ago before range finders and all that and he said he spent you know the, the oh hours that night wandering you know back and forth zigzagging around on the top of the mountain trying to find his tent and i uh, finally gave up and and i uh, found a marmot hole put his feet in the marmot hole to <laughs> keep him warm and, and you know 
pulled his jacket over him and spent a miserable night on the mountain trying to keep warm. And he said the next morning, he, and it's, the sun comes up and uh, the fog lifts and he's 50 feet away from his tent. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, it's pretty miserable right there. Oh. And I've had some good ones where I, I've never uh, – um, I had uh, – I wasn't that bad, but I was hunting in Nevada, and and uh, it was just a matter of circumstance. I was hunting up there with uh, a cameraman and Cam Haynes when I took him up there to my spot in in Nevada, and uh, he shot a so. I had left my pack on the very top of the mountain and um, took off on a stock, and. Um, went after this buck and and uh, actually ended up uh cam ended up bumping it uh, he didn't realize it but the, he walked downwind of it without knowing it was there and end up bumping this deer so by the time i got over it, i was stalking an empty deer bed and then um i didn't realize but he he went down shot another deer and that thing peeled off and ran around the mountain and so i was dropping down in elevation all of a sudden i cut this blood trail and uh, i was like what the heck all of yeah. a sudden you know on the side of the hill there's this blood trail and then pretty soon i hear and see cam down further up the uh, the basin and so i went down there and told him i was on his blood trail so we ended up uh it was quite a, a blood trail to work out but we ended up going around the corner into another basin and make a long story short he ended up uh we recovered his deer and by that time it was you know getting on towards dark and my my uh pack was you know i I don't know a mile half mile away whatever it was it was a long ways by by foot to get there so i ended up spending the night using a space blanket and a borrowed jacket because i you know all my stuff was <laughs> it had been pretty warm so i didn't even have a jacket with me um but it was uh that was the first time well the only time i've spent the night in a space blanket and it was you know you kind of wad up a pile of pine needles to sleep on and it was a hell of a long night i'll tell you that yeah we took my my dentist on uh, uh, his first backpack hunting pack or trip. And <clears throat> anyway, he bit, bit off probably a bit more than he could chew. But uh, James texts us and he's like, hey, I got a cow down. And, um, you know, the, the camp is here. And then two miles up is where the dentist and I are. And another mile is where James is roughly. And uh, I said, hey, we're going to go help James. And you could just see he was like no i'm like <laughs> you're good dude and eventually at one point i strapped his pack to mine so we get to james it's like midnight james has pretty much got it broken down i'm like hey let's just sleep here um and the you know i said we're gonna just put a big pile of wood beside all of us and you, you're gonna wake up from being cold throw wood in the the fire and i i got inside of my pack right so i put my my big game bag up to my waist and cinched it and then i put my pack around it and cinched that and i put it i burnt the fuck out of my clothing from embers flying on me all night but then i got by the fire and i just whatever well whatever drug he took to go to bed his pile of wood was full <laughs> in the morning he didn't but then you know the next morning we you could see he's ready to go home right he's done and uh james and i wake up and i mean as you know construction right some parts wake up a little slower than others right so i'm like trying to function somewhat and be able to to walk right yeah. like a little bit stiff and but elker bugling like crazy and i'm like well let's make a bad thing out of into a good one right. like we are in the thick of things like right now and you could see that this was like fuck hunting just uh -huh. screw the ground like <laughs> this contemplating is, becoming a vegetarian <laughs> yeah like this is horrible <laughs> where 
I mean, I you get used to it. I've been stuck out overnight a few times. Um, generally, it's more of a choice to walk yeah. back or not. It's usually laziness that I just don't want to yeah. walk back. I don't know that it's a good choice. Um, maybe that two-hour walk would have been a hell of a lot better than sleeping without a, right. a shelter. But the space blanket thing helps, but... You know, wrapping yourself around thin aluminum foil isn't overly comforting to begin with. It, it's only helping a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't retain. I mean, if you have an insulating layer um, or a good insulating layer and then that on the outside, I think it'd be more effective than, you know, no insulation and then that wrapped around you because it's not really going to do that much. No, I mean, the one thing the one time I did was on a mule deer hunt and I was trying to increase my body heat enough. So I don't know how many push-ups I did, but it was a lot and, and uh, it didn't help shit. I mean, <laughs> you know, I do them and my body would warm up and I'd wrap up in that. But I, I mean, I'd get cold again or whatever to a point where, you know, the next morning you've got enough. It's not like you're dying, right? You're fine. But I definitely wasn't quite as chipper as I would have been. I was like, geez, I should have just walked back <laughs> to camp. This was stupid. But what do you put in um, like your little possible survival patch? You got anything in there special or? Do you got it's pretty minimal um i've got some fire starter um you know a, a compass um just you know string and and uh some miscellaneous very minor first aid kit as far as some band-aids and stuff because i think if you get yourself you know where you're that far in that badly injured it's uh you're going to be bagging out to get out and and my first aid knowledge is is pretty rudimentary at best we just talked about that didn't we what's that we did on a podcast about our first aid kit. I had a doctor message me, tell me I was an idiot, basically, um, because I had said, it might have been on a video, that uh, if you're that far gone, you're going to die or you're going to hit the beacon, right? uh -huh. you're gonna hit the button. And that uh, most people, if you hit an artery, no one's digging into the femoral and cl right. clamping it off, right? You're going to have to put a tourniquet on or yep. probably going to lose a limb and Maybe I'm wrong. Of course, I don't know this doctor's background if he's a backpack hunter, but I, what, you'd bring the same shit I do. I have mm -hmm. some super glue, some Luco tape, yeah. some Vicodin, and some, I don't know, duct tape. I mean, yeah, that's about that's all I bring. Literally the same. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, is well, that about the, what you think? And the uh, Yeah. Do you have one of those, the the messengers? It's pretty funny. I um, I just bought one on the 20% REI. No, I got it through Go Hunt. They're, uh, they have a 20% or 25% sale same same weekend there so I ordered one through them and and I uh, but I've used I've had one that you know I got to test from the company that I've used and then I've got um, a sat phone and and uh, and then my cell phone and and most of the places where I'm hunting mule deer you know you're able to get cell reception if you get to the top of the ridge so Hasn't yeah. really been an issue, but yeah, now I've got one of those Delorms now. Yeah, where we were last week and we didn't have service and we were screwing around with the new one, it's nice. I mean, I like them. I mean, I've used them a bunch and it, I have an Iridium Go, but I mean, you know, we're looking at it and it's always like with Amy when we're packing, we all, you know, she kind of asks questions or whatever, yeah. but there's not a whole lot in the pack. Like, I mean, you know, really you've got a sleeping bag pad, uh, bag pad. I, I, you know, we usually bring a pillow. I sometimes I do anyway. I have a Montbell blow up one. You've got a kick ass cocoon one, don't yeah, you? Yeah, cocoon. Yeah, and then uh, I got a little pouch about this big, and uh, I've it's um, I have the stuff to fix the sleeping pad because I've popped holes in them, and I've got some Luco tape, some fire starter, a Taito knife, and I mean pretty basic stuff. Um, I started carrying uh, like. 2.3 millimeter guy out reflective line instead of 550 cord um 
it doesn't really lighten that much up. But when you you, know, you lay everything out there, there's not a whole lot of shit going on inside yeah. your back. Yeah, I mean, basically, it, it, you have enough to be able to MacGyver, you know, through your way through quite a few situations. If you if you try to pack for all the scenarios, your pack's going to become unwieldingly large. And you know, in twenty years of backpacking, you you know, you're probably not going to use it anyway. I mean, I've been backpack hunting for thirty two years now. And most of the stuff in my pack, when it comes to like a first aid or that possible scenario, I, I've never used. Yeah, I would say um, what I've used the most, probably the patch kit for my pad. Yep. I've used that on a handful of occasions. Super glue. And that's actually been more to help other. If your serving comes undone, right. I can back serve and super glue it. If I whack my finger bad enough, yep. I'll glue it together. Yep. Um, but, you know, I mean, that cord, I use a cord, usually hang up game bags or, or a clothesline or whatever. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I think once people, once you do it enough, I always tell them, like, when you get back, go to the garage make a line yep. and put everything on the right side you didn't use yep. and everything you did on the left, that right side's going to be pretty damn big. Right. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you're not using. I don't bring books into the, you know, the backcountry or whatever. I, you know, the time frame where we hunt, there's not a lot of time to read anyway. Right. Um, I don't, do you bring books or anything? No, I have in the past, but you know, um, I find that I, I run myself so hard year round that by the time I get back up there, if I've got any dead time, I'm sleeping, <laughs> taking yeah. a nap. Yeah, no, I'm in the same, uh, same boat. We slept a bunch this last trip, um, for fishing or whatever. But yeah, I mean, usually I was talking to, you know, Amy about that. Cause we were talking about like, what do we do in the midday? And I said, usually I'm either sleeping or I got to go get water. You know, it's not a whole lot. I said, after that, we're glassing. I said, but every time for me, I'm sleeping as much as I possibly can, or at least laying there trying to recover, especially if you're doing some of those crazy stocks where you're gaining and losing that much altitude. Just, I try to stretch a lot more now than I used to, which is hard for me, but I try to stretch too on the off, you know, midday or whatever. Do you get much, I know you said you get stiff back. Do your legs bug you too much? or whatever not not you know not uh excessively yeah yeah you know going back to um the possibles pouch there one of the things you know you mentioned parachute cord and um i always carry some of that with me you know 50 or 100 foot um uh little roll of that what eighth inch parachute cord and i've used that a couple of times where i've gotten cliffed out and i've tied you know i just couldn't get down safely <laughs> you lowered I've your pack tied <laughs> off lowered my pack and then you know left the uh the you know and then used the, that actual eighth inch parachute cord for climbing rope and had to use that to assist in getting down through some sketchy spots and end up having to leave it you know tied off on whatever i i tied it off to but it saved me more than once you know it's funny you bring that up but like coming down where hold it and I'll wrap it around my fist mm -hmm. to, to go down a little bit lower. Uh, yeah. I mean that one, <laughs> that guy was pissed. We were, we were, uh, it was scouting and we were, anyway, I had to pull his pack up. Right. But me being the photographer, no one's life was in jeopardy. It was a great time to take a picture of him stuck on the cliff. Sure. Where, fuck. He was mad. Like put that camera away. But, um, kind of adding what you're saying if we didn't have that cord we wouldn't have yeah. gotten up there so you know as far as like um even if you tie off to your pack climb up 
and then pull your pack up. In this case, there was two of us. But again, like in the you know the world of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Yeah. There's sometimes you're praying for 25 foot of cord that uh, you know some you know if you don't have you're in, in trouble. I mean, other times too, it's been for my bootlaces. I've blown right. those I've used out. That and, too, yeah. Yeah, you doing them for that? And then um, I, I the. The uh, the clothesline thing, even though it's not that big of a deal, it is nice sometimes if you got a good camp to have a clothesline, especially as much like you. People that message me about scent control on a backpack hunt, I'm like, are you kidding? I was like, just watch the wind, dude. You're going to smell so freaking bad. There right. is no scent control on a backpack hunt or yeah. whatever. I, I try to stay clean, but. Yeah, no, just so you can, you know, live with yourself inside your sleeping bag. But, uh, you know, as far as effective kind of whitetail level scent control, it's just not going to happen. No, no. Uh-uh. Is there anything else? I got to take a potty break in a sec. So while you're answering this, I'm going to go pee. But is there anything else in there like over uh, over time? Like I know we use like Aquamira and we'll use the SteriPen or whatever. Is there anything you found like as a big uh, like weight weight saving game changer on your gear goes or? Um, I think from a food perspective and, um, I've started, uh, well, several years ago I bought my own freeze dryer and that's kind of been, um, a game changer. I haven't really utilized it as much as I intend to, or, you know, intended to when I bought it, but being able to freeze dry my own food has been awesome. Um, you know, I can take meals from home that I'm cooking and just double the recipe and then run the the uh, other part of it through the freeze dryer, the leftovers, quote unquote, and then, uh, you know, package them up and use them um, there in lieu of Mountain House. And, um, you know, there's a, quite a few of the Mountain House meals that I like, but a lot of them, just the sodium level, my fingers swell up <laughs> yeah. and, you know, yeah. I got to take my wedding ring off before I go hunting because I, you know, in anticipation of that happening. And uh, so that, that's one of the things I really like, um, you know, and then, so I, I was just talking about while you're in your bathroom break, the, the freeze dryer that I've been been uh, playing around with. And, Are and, there any uh, meals in particular that you like to make or is it just just like you're saying, just the leftovers? Um, Thai food. Um, I love Thai food. Yeah. So I'll shit my ass off while you Thai food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds dangerous. Yeah. Oh. Uh, another one, you know, is really good is uh, if you make spaghetti and then s- instead of using pasta, yeah. um, take zucchini and, and run it through one of those uh, salad maker things that mm-hmm. makes like little strands, you know, yeah. um, and so you just kind of uh, quickly cook the the, the uh, zucchini and then uh, run it through the freeze dryer, and that is that works out pretty slick. And then you're you know you don't have uh, you know the the kind of real processed foods there in that um, in that pasta. Amy's made that before at home where she's taken mm-hmm. the zucchini. Yeah, no, for sure. I the amount of food I have to consume to not lose weight is pretty ridiculous so like anything for me that has a lot of olive oil um yeah coconut oil or whatever like uh, high fats yeah high fats and then um i don't know like when i was doing my own i just poured like i don't know quarter inch thick of olive oil in the bottom of the crock pot and then um you know, put a pile of meat in there. And then usually what I do is, as I'm, as I'm crock potting it, there's six or eight hours for the meat. And I do what, 
what uh, breaks down the easiest last. So generally like the veggies will go in there. And then if I do sweet potatoes, those will go in there or whatever. But the, if I'm doing pasta, it'll be really soupy by the time it's done. So I'll actually pour in all my, like I'll do brown rice noodles and that'll suck up that right. liquid. And then I'll dehydrate that. But the, um, the food definitely tastes better when you're making it yourself in oh, my man. hand. I look like some freaking fat kid. My fingers when I eat Mountain <laughs> House, I'm not used to that much yeah. sodium. Yeah. And I can't hardly, well, you work in construction. I have trouble making a yeah. fist in the morning. Well, from swinging a hammer and running a drill, if I, like, remember, I thought my broke my hand and I ate bad and beat at British Columbia. I, I couldn't flex my hand. Well, I'm sure it's the five bucks. Uh, boxes of raisin, raisin bran I ate good I couldn't like in the, he saw me I can't I'm like dude there's something wrong with my hand and I and I've broken this one several times but I mean that's something to be said as far as processed carbs yeah I haven't had a hand issue since I've been back no swelling mm-hmm. it's got to be that fucking raisin bran <laughs> raisin yeah. bran and chips and oh yeah I never eat chips bread yeah, neither do I. french toast <laughs> well up there we were having that was like the main staple was uh, crackers and chips and cheese. Yeah, was, oh cheese! Yeah, dude, so uh, much cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Good lord! But it makes a difference because you know you get back. I don't have my knees aren't hurting, my hands aren't hurting. So I try to still eat the same, you know, way. And if I do bring some kind of a cracker, they're usually like a gluten free, super low sodium, you know, cracker. If we buy them or something at um, almond at flour, the, yeah, almond flour crackers. We do eat a lot of those. They're yeah. they're good. Uh, Trader Joe's makes a uh, a bean based pasta. Versus, yeah. You know that I'm gonna. I haven't used it yet or tried it yet, but I'm gonna try that out. Did Amy? No, I don't think so. Amy's a Amy's a Trader Joe's fool, yeah. so she goes down there a lot. <laughs> the mango though, you eat that mango? Oh man. I'm not kidding. I'll shit out a baby's <laughs> arm. I can't stop eating uh, their yeah, mango. It's like crack. Uh, well, I take that. I mean, and that is not a weight saving. But what do we have? Three bags each for this fishing trip? <laughs> yeah, they're good. Yeah. Oh, man. But I mean, for for me, like on a crazy weight saving, like, holy cow, we're going in 10 miles. It's a little bit different. But when it's three to five, I'm packing in some shit. Like, I'm, there's going to be some cre- – hell, we packed in Moose Burger – Last time mixed with mushrooms and oh, oh it was man. good. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, was sounds good. really good. What yeah. do we have? Moose burger and uh, bratwursts. Bratwursts. Well, yeah. Short trips you can just improvise. Usually, if I wasn't going with them, he makes me pack ahead of time. <laughs> I'm stopping at like Walmart, getting one of those like five foot long yeah, sub yeah. sandwiches, uh-huh. and just tossing in my pack. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the, if you think about it, you know, if you're eating it in the first you know, couple of days then, and you're not having to pack it around for a week, then it, you can take some of those luxury items that yep. disappear quickly. Oh yeah. Well, the, 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 con- I've Ty said this many times at that time, James and I packed in, I shot a bull the first day we packed in, we got done cleaning it and we hung it and everything. And he's like, man, I can't wait to have those bratwursts. <laughs> and I was like, you crazy bastard. You packed those in. He's like, fuck no, I put them in your pack. <laughs> I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even know there were those cheddar bratwursts. Uh, <laughs> My God, those were good. But that goes to show you like one, how dense I am on weight. Like I mean, I just go, right? right? I don't pay that much attention. So there was eight of those things. Those things are like this big around, Holy you know, cow. and uh, I didn't even, I just went in and, and he knew I wouldn't know, right? <laughs> right because that's right. just how I am with carrying stuff. So when people are asking me like spreadsheets or whatever else, I'm thinking, I wonder how many of you would know if I added things to your pack, if you'd even be able to, right. to tell. I've seen guys set their max bench because I lied to them about what I put on and uh-huh. they didn't see because it's it's mental, right? Sure. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go heavy, but certainly for me, that one time 
those one lakes, though, that was epic. That was a bit farther and hotter than we wanted, but... Man, we brought jalapeno cheddar burger. Oh yeah, sweet baby Jesus! I think the luckiest, <laughs> the luckiest part is we found a like a cast iron pan, a skillet. Yeah, yeah. Somebody left. No we way. cooked them on that. Yeah, uh, we put aluminum foil over it because it probably you know give you cancer in California. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we put aluminum foil over it and we had that and brookies Fish, and cutthroat. Yeah. Oh man, that was a good time. Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said. I, I mean, a lot of guys just go too light and they're they kind of increase the level of suffering and reduce the level of enjoyment on their trip, whether it be, you know, uh, maybe paring down their food um, as far as maybe options too much or just their gear too much. And, you know, some I think some people can actually um you know, get them, talk themselves off the mountain just by increasing their misery if they haven't achieved that level of mental toughness that uh, that they need to stay on the mountain regardless of, of conditions. And, yeah. and so I think, you know, I mean, if you go up there and you're underprepared, um, then you can get to the point where it is a life-threatening. And, and I actually, I should have brought this up earlier as far as when we, it was a little bit more relevant on the topic, but there, you, you know, if you're an Eastern and or even just uh, um, I mean coming from Northern California where I was at we got a lot of rain and you know all that so it wasn't um, in in the years of hunting that I've had um, you know I've experienced a lot of different conditions but the weather can turn up here in Colorado when you're hunting at you know 11 12,000 feet in elevation and get you in some pretty sketchy situations um, and stay that way for you know, enough, uh, long enough period of time where you can really get yourself into some trouble if you're not prepared from a clothing standpoint. Yeah. And we've listened to some other podcasts that I quit listening to because I was not mad or whatever, but depending upon where you hunt, and, and I guess my point is, is, you know, what you said, I agree with a hundred percent. If you listen to a guy that says his, his answer is all I'll just hike out um, so I don't bring rain gear or I don't bring a headlamp because I'll just hike out or I don't bring whatever. That works for, for him and more than most likely he is, is well, what either one, he's full of shit or two, he's really experienced. Um, and the hike out thing for, for me, we hike in far enough, hiking out isn't like a great option. Like I don't want to hike out to turn around and hike back in because I didn't bring a rain jacket or whatever. So I, I try to, to keep guys, you know, personally to where they, they don't have too much, they don't have too little, they have the right amount of stuff and it's built out of the right materials, you know, stuff that'll dry out quickly or at least keep your body heat up. Um, I think where guys get into trouble, and I agree with you, is one way or the other, is they've packed so much they're ineffective mm -hmm. or they've packed so little it makes it a lot easier for them i agree with that to talk themselves off the mountain because of the the suffering and the the misery they're facing and and i do i mean some guys can just just hike out i guess maybe it's laziness if um you know we backpack in you know seven miles to go on a mule deer hunt and um an extra four pounds would keep me on the mountain three more days yeah. I'll carry the four pounds. I actually wrote an article for Eastman's called Don't Chase the Rabbit. Um, I don't know, whatever it was, four years ago or something, but it was about going too lightweight. Um, and uh, I'm interested in hearing from uh, from Kevin, from Kevin Underwood. Yeah. Because he's, he's a guy that's on our, I don't know if you've heard of him or anything. He's a guy that's on our forums and he's like a super Spartan lightweight guy. Uh, we make fun of each other all and the time. He's, <laughs> great dude. He kills stuff and what, whatever, but he's always... Um, 
It's like a badge people, of honor. People will ask, you know, you have these people on the forums or on Kafaro Insiders that ask for suggestions on what they should pack and and all that stuff. He's that well, fucking he's like guy, the ultimate 17 guy. pounds for 10 days. Yeah, he'll run, he'll run like a 3,000 cubic <laughs> inch pack for an extended day hunt. And we're like, good Lord, man, this is, every, not everyone's like you. Right, they, they, right. And like you're talking about. Is a, he's probably suffering quite a bit more than say we would be with with the amount of gear that we take in compared to him. Well, obviously he's harder than woodpecker lips because he is doing it. He's not lying. I mean he is he is making it. I just tried that shit and I didn't like it. Like I brought the uh, the alcohol stove and the quilt and you know mm-hmm. it's not for me. I yeah. like to sleep. I like to eat. I like to brush my teeth. Right. Like not saying it's that big of a deal to leave a toothbrush, but. There's a certain point when I wake up and it feels like three cats took shits in my mouth. I want to brush my teeth. So I I bring a toothbrush. Um, You know, I don't bring soap or anything like that. I'll just rinse off in the creek. But I just, I get to a point where I've gone that far across the border. It's not fun for me, right? It's just, I'm not enjoying myself. But I don't know. What do you think about that? No, I'm with you. I mean, um, there's a, I've gone from both ends of the spectrum where I had a pack where I was waddling in because it was so much, you know, (laughs) gear sound like a one man band. Ninja turtle. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've gone the other end where you get it back in there and it's like, man, this isn't very fun, you know? And, and uh, so I, I've kind of, you know, balanced out somewhere in the middle and, um, the, the, the thing that concerns me, um, you know, just from experience is you get a guy who goes that ultralight route and, and then gets in, himself into a situation where you, you, a storm rolls in and, and, uh, you know, maybe you're eight or 10 miles back in and yeah, you, you know, in, in a lot of situations you can hike out, but if you, if it rolls in, in the middle of your hunt and, uh, and you still have, you know, four or five days on the back end once that storm passes, but you've, um, you've cut your gear list down so minimally that, you know, um, say you got, you've gotten wet and, and, uh, you're in a bivy sack and you don't have the opportunity to dry out and conditions. And I've gotten snowed on up there in August in, in, uh, Colorado. And if you are, you know, wearing, you know, lightweight clothing and, and, uh, um, because when you left, it was, you know, 70 degrees or 80 degrees in town. And, and, uh, you look at the weather forecast and it says, you know, it's supposed to be beautiful weather, but that weather can turn in a hurry. I mean, geez, I mean, this is still May here, so it's not the greatest example, but my, uh, my wife and I just went over, um, from Estes, um, over the mountain to Granby Lakes, uh, on Memorial Day to go check out the little town. Well, while we, uh, while we were over there in Granby, a storm blew in and they closed the, the road on the top of the mountain. And I'm like, come on, man, it can't be that bad talking to the ranger. And, uh, one of my employees had just happened to drive through there just as they were closing. He was coming back from a, a camping trip and, and, uh, granted, you know, so it was, the day before it was 75 degrees in Estes. It was absolutely beautiful. And they were getting hail and snow and white out conditions up on top at, you know, 12,000 feet. And you still can get that kind of weather in August and September. And if you're not set up for it, man, you're going to be hurting. No, I, I agree. I just, yeah. Again, like being able to build a fire is a big one. So I always make sure I have, uh, you know, whatever it takes. I carry trucks and tablets. I'm too yeah. lazy to put Vaseline on them cotton balls, I guess. I just have had better luck with those. But um, I think too, like having the common sense, um, I've gotten into arguments with guys on when to hunt. If the weather is that bad, 
I see no reason to go suffer. I hide in the in the tent. I've just I haven't had the greatest of luck hunting and weather that crappy. It just never made sense to me. You know, generally when the the if, if I'm not feeling like walking around most of the time, I'm not talking about a mist here. You know, obviously hunting that, but I try not to subject myself and my gear into getting soaking wet and freezing when I don't have to um, because it certainly makes me a hell of a lot more ineffective the next one, two, three days until everything dries out. Well, you think about it there too, and even if you are some badass ninja and you do go out there in those kind of elements and you shoot something, your blood trail is going to get wiped out almost instantly. And, uh, you know, if you make a less than perfect hit, then, uh, then it's going to be really challenging to try to recover that animal. And, and just for that reason alone, it's better to hunker down in the tent and, uh, rather than going out there and, and putting yourself in a potential survival situation. Yeah. And, and I'm not a great trophy hunter. It's just not my, my thing as far as that goes. So maybe the fires I build aren't a great idea, but I build fires, man. If I get super cold, <laughs> I'm a fire building fool. I've never had an issue with it. We've shot animals close to the fire, right? I mean, they're used to it, but if I'm like cold, I mean, I, I'm building a fire. Sure. Like I just do. Now, high country is different. Like Mueller, you ain't building a fire. There's nothing to burn it out of, but elk hunting, if it's super cold and it's raining or whatever, and I mean... I, I'll, I'm getting something going. I mean, this year after Brian shot his bull, I went back in there to try and kill a bear off the carcass. And uh, I sat too long. I was shaking like a cat shit in razor blades, like I was cold. And I'm like, man, I really, really want to shoot this bear. There was a big cinnamon we knew of in there. So I backed off three, 400 yards. <laughs> I built a fire so I could warm back up because I was so freaking cold. I was shaking so bad. And then, you know, it gets to a point, too, where you're just not having fun, and that'll make you come back, you know, pretty quickly, too. Do you bring heavyweight rain gear? Do you bring pretty lightweight rain gear? Pretty lightweight, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where there's, like, I've been using Sitka stuff, and and uh, they make a, a rain gear that's pretty quiet, but it's, it's on the heavier side compared to the, some of their lighter uh, materials. And I'll go on the light end just because I, I know I'm chances are you know two things one is i'm not going to be hunting in it i'm going to just be using it to keep myself dry and then two if i do end up hunting in it and it's raining enough that i really need it then that rain um you know that noise from the rain is typically going to help hide the the noise that my rain gear is going to make so I, I i like to err on the lighter side and then i'm more likely to leave it in my pack when i leave camp as opposed to you know going ah it looks beautiful today i'm not gonna you know carry this extra two or three pounds around all day yeah no i they have that flash hoodie i think it's called that flash pullover we wore that quite a bit last year which is not just it's not a great it's not a durable rain gear but most of the time you're going through just crazy squalls where you're going to keep right. running you know it's just enough to keep me dry as it goes through the day you wore quite a bit too didn't you yeah, yeah. yeah did you wear that flash or were you wearing like the the storm front uh, i think i had the flash if i remember correctly yeah yeah so hard I, for me to keep track they've got so much their product line <laughs> is so deep that it's uh i mean it's great from a perspective that you're able to tailor everything you need um specifically rather than having to you know make a lot of compromises but then again it creates a lot of confusion i wish they had they print their name of their product inside their garment it would help yeah what uh i not to pimp out 
Sitka, but those Apex pants and that Apex hoodie are the oh, bomb.com. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I used, I'm a real stickler about um, the fabric in the, in the clothing that I'm wearing and how quiet it is because I'm, you know, oftentimes shooting stuff and it, you know, in feet rather than yards. And so you really need it to be as quiet as possible. And, and I really feel like they, they did really well on that Apex stuff from a quiet perspective. Yeah. You wore them the other day, didn't you? Yeah. I wore them quite a bit for the bear hunt. Yeah. That was when we first got it. Stuff is silent. Yeah. It breathes well. I'll, yeah. I'll be wearing that probably along with some, maybe some first light pants for mule deer hunting, but. Yeah, almost too well sometimes. You know, you get up like in the mornings, uh, if you're up, you know, and, and glassing and sitting for an extended period and got a little bit of a breeze, it's a <laughs> good air conditioner. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't really like the elbow pads and the, I mean, you take them out, which yeah, for me, that's I'm not what a, I do. Yeah, I'm not an elbow pad. I'm not even a knee pad guy. I have some I strap on. I don't like the ones mm-hmm. that are in the pants. I right. have Arcteryx kneecaps and they're hard on the outside. So they're not great if you have to, um, like knee crawl and gravel. But, you know, for me, especially in the higher, uh, elevation stuff, it's usually what kills me is when I kneel down on where there's a rock under right. the grass and Jesus, it drops me like a freaking sniper. It's yep. bad. The other thing too, is when we're cleaning them out, those knee pads are handy. And my, I mean, I'm bitching to the wrong guy. i but construction crushes your body. It and does. Being on, uh, you know, your knees all day, and you did floors. Didn't yeah. You? yeah, yeah, that's fucking. Twenty five years of hardwood floors. How it's, are your knees now? You know, um, since I quit doing them, they've actually recovered pretty well. I don't really have knee problems like I used to. Like my left knee, I, I've had problems. You know, when I was backpacking, especially and carrying extra weight, then it was uh, it was really rough on it. Um, but I mean, I can even, you know, running now and stuff, it, it doesn't bother it. No, that's good. Yeah. I, uh, I'm having elbow issues right now. Or Did you it, try that CBD stuff? Yeah. The Did oil? Work? It didn't hurt today. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> no, like, did you I'm sleep been, good though? I said, well, I slept till four, but we went to bed at 10. So that's pretty good for me. So I don't sleep, right? Yeah. I, it's bad. Um, and, uh. I've had like multiple people to tell me, and I've been so anti-drug for my entire life, right? right? Like same with me. And um, finally, Rogan's the one. He was bugging me about it too. And then Lander to to deceive. You don't get stoned off of it, mm-hmm. but I'm trying it. And um, that cream, though, I there was CBD oil cream I rubbed on my elbow. I don't know if it's a placebo. It's not hurting today, so we'll see. And you know, usually I knock out twenty pull-ups. Yeah, not now. I can't. If I had to pull up over, like if I robbed a bank and had to climb up over a foot wall, I, my ass would be getting caught. Like I'm <laughs> having trouble. So, yeah, too probably too much curling. We've seen probably glazers or whatever. They're the glass cup. They curl a unit and then pop it in the pocket or whatever. Doing that left and right handed for, you know, 10 years and it's taking a toll yeah. on my arm. So, and I'm complaining to the wrong guy because you were doing floors, which is way worse. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, one of those things that another learning moment is, uh, you know, age happens <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, miles on the body, man, they accumulate and, and it's hard to get them back once you, once you've used them up. Yeah. Speaking of age in your body or whatever, you're using some llamas now. Are you liking them? Yeah. I've, uh, I've really, I mean, I had them, let's see, back in, Oh, the late nineties. Um, I, uh, I got, 
couple, I got four of them off of, I uh, wasn't even, Craigslist wasn't even around back then. I got them out of the newspaper <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't pack llamas by any stretch. Uh, but I started out packing with them back then and, and I uh, used them for about five years before I started doing a lot of out of state stuff. And then I was flying um, versus driving to, you know, where I was going hunting. So at that point, after a string of years and not using them, I sold them. And then I just recently got them again, but I've been renting them the last few years and there's a lot to be said about um, you know the advantages of them they're they're really easy to work with um, you know you don't really have to have any special knowledge um, you know uh, most of the time the guys that rent them will require you to do like a two or three hour class on just kind of you know how to set the packs up and stake them out and what have you but I mean they're they're not dangerous like horses as far as you know, chance of getting yeah, kicked or stepping on your foot I'm yeah. not a horse fan <laughs> yeah <laughs> One of my last uh, last horse riding experiences, I got launched over the handlebars, so that wasn't uh, <laughs> wasn't all that much fun. Yeah, Brian had a heyday. He'd been on horses um, on that goat hunt, and I hadn't really been on them. And I mean, I just sat on the horse. Really, I didn't really do shit right. So, I mean, I'm not lying. Like I didn't steer the horse. Yeah. And so, but the horse knew that, and so. I, I, horses are smarter than yeah. I thought because it would be on the ranger file and then it would see a log at an angle and for absolutely no reason it would take off for that log and knock me off. And the one time uh, the tree was like the size of my arm, I thought I was going to get catapulted off the back. And we're going on a trail in a row and this horse just says, fuck it, and takes the right. And I'm pushing on that thing. I can hear Brian laughing at me, right? <laughs> I mean, to a point where, like, literally, I've got my legs wrapped around that horse so tight. I'm like, I can't go any tighter. And finally, it snapped. And the horse literally was like, oh, didn't happen. Goes right back in a row, right? And I'm like, you <laughs> son of a bitch. But I didn't. You know, the one time he said, lean forward, grab the, what's the hair called on the? The mane. The mane. Lean forward and grab the mane. I was like, What? Holy shit, those horses went up like steep. I thought they were going to flip over backwards. Yeah. And you could feel it laboring and then it would get up. I'm like, Jesus, these horses will go anywhere. But yeah, I'm not not a fan of the horses. Did um, you end up walking at all? I would oh, probably yeah. just pop off that thing and put my pack on there and just walk. Yeah, some. Um, you know, we went so far in that it wasn't overly feasible to, to walk. But, you know, if we got packed into an area and it was on a trail, I would probably walk a hell. My knees hurt bad like that was a yeah. big thing oh man yeah that works you right on the inside yeah yeah they uh for sure they if you're not used to riding a horse and your hips feel like you're getting dislocated <laughs> yeah when i would hop off i would walk literally like i took a corn cob you know <laughs> and somebody hit me in the inside of the knees with a hammer for probably 45 minutes to an hour before everything that got back to normal or whatever and warmed up but yeah my hip flexors or whatever out here would hurt pretty pretty bad but i mean they do get you to where you're going the thing is 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 uh for for a backpack hunter to have let's say one llama is a big deal right um not that i'm a llama expert but anything that's going to carry 40 or 50 more pounds of stuff yeah and llamas a big you know decent sized llama will do 75 80 pounds yeah so i mean frank maybe we should get a llama we can put it in front of frank our neighbor's house <laughs> yeah throw it in the back of the truck yeah, I mean, really, you can you can haul them in the back of trucks, can't you? Yeah, yep. Well, there yeah. You go. In fact, I I even saw one uh, picture of one loaded into a super cub. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, you know, I mean, anytime because you figure like if we go and we can pack in stuff early, um, 
you know, we'll do it, you know, and hang it in a tree, right? Because if you pack in get 20 pounds of food, that's pretty good amount of food. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and usually when I pack in early, I'll do food, fuel, toilet paper, some wet wipes, just that type of stuff and, and hang it. And uh, I've never had a problem doing that um, just because you get more creature comforts, more food. Right. And you don't always have that you know, luxury or whatever. Although I think this year we're going to be able to do it both on the, the elk hunt and the deer hunt, but other hunts where you're not able to do that, I'm definitely looking over my food quite a bit more with a fine tooth comb than just jamming stuff in there to make a quick trip in and out to hang it up. But the, the llama, I mean, what do you have four? I've got two, but I'll be renting a couple more from the lady that I'm, I've got them pastured at as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting. So, well, you got anything before we get off you want to talk about with Stalker? Um, no, I just, uh, you, you know, I, I've been doing, um, been getting a lot of pictures out there on Instagram and stuff. So if guys are interested in looking at, um, at bows or, or uh, you know, thinking about shooting a stick bow, then, uh, you know, by all means, check out my, the Stalker Stick Bows Instagram uh, feed there. There's a lot of pictures there. I've got a, <laughs> this Mule Deer DVD that I'm still working on, trying to get the editing done. I just say, ask that because I've watched your other one so much, there's holes in that fucker. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, sure. I watched the first, I watched that the first time. Yeah. Don't take this the wrong way. Uh-huh. Never shot a stick bow. I'm like, Jesus, this guy sucks. <laughs> well, let me tell you what, I had a big bowl of humble fuck eating crap crow when i picked up the stick bow because i was like good god how does anybody hit anything with this fucking yeah. piece of equipment and i i watched and you know you watch and don't take this the wrong way i watched on one of the bucks i could see your elbow you collapsed yeah in and my problem is the other i draw too far uh-huh. um but when you have draw stops and a peep sight, you don't do that shit, right? I mean, most yeah. of that's taken care of for you. And if I'd hate for somebody to film me on what I've done right. shooting at an animal, <laughs> this bear specifically, every type of form from running backwards, shooting at it to good form to <laughs> flinging my arrow. I mean, Gary's like, what happened? I'm like, yeah, I, don't, I shot a lot about our arrows. You know, I'm like, there's a, quite a bit happened actually. You know, it's just not the same. And so yep. the adrenaline rush, it is hard. Now I put a clicker on and that has helped a lot. Yeah. And I, it's not as much for me as a psycho trigger because a lot of times it'll click and I'll hold it. Yeah. It's more of a draw check, sure. uh, for, you know, for me. But man, that video, I think everybody should watch that that video. Um, and it's stalkers in the backcountry. And it not only that, I mean, not to pump your tires up, you are a sneaky motherfucker. I mean, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, coming from having to do it myself now. Yeah. Man, that lasts like 20 yards and in. Yeah, you got to have your shit wired tight. Um, yeah. You know, and I've only done it where I've gotten that close, you know, doing that a few times now. But, I mean, I, there's a lot of things you take for advantage or take for granted when you don't have a stick bow in your hand um, be, because of the effective range and the draw stops and everything else. Um, what's your closest you've shot a deer? Because, I, I, again, I'm not making – I saw you miss one, uh-huh. and I've been working on it with you, talking about the angle of the bow. Yeah. Because, I mean, not to complain about the stick, I love shooting it, but yep. you get on a fucked up angle, and you, I can't to the right heavy. Like, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen me shoot, but I'm 
angled. Uh-huh. So now I got to put the bow in front of me and can't the other way. Right. My shit doesn't hit right. Yeah. I got to, if it's, if it's facing right to, to left, meaning the head's on the left, mm-hmm. I'm aiming back in the butt to hit it in the lungs because yeah. I'm angled that much different. And right. that's what happened with you on that one bucket. Yeah. I missed him to the left because I had to camp my bow to the left mm-hmm. and I didn't take that into consideration. I'd actually never shot my bow canted that far over the other direction. Well, I have because of you because uh. I watched that and thought, <laughs> fuck, that doesn't look good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it, it happened. Yep. Like, how many times did I shoot that deer the other day? Yeah. I, no, I, you have to, and a lot of times you, you have to watch for your leg or if the, yeah. the limb gets between your legs. Oh, yeah. I don't have those problems. <laughs> yeah. No, watching that, though, yep. I mean, all of that is, I mean, something that I, I mean, I'm one of those guys where I dissect. And so I watched that video of everything that you were doing to learn because right. you're a pretty fart smeller. So I'm like, all right, if it's screwed him up, obviously I'm going to pay attention and, and work on it. Now, now whether I remember, that's another problem, right? When you shit your pants, right? Yeah. It's hard to remember everything. But it is funny with watching because you've killed – how many you killed with a stick bone now? Uh, I, honestly, I, I don't know. It's um, a pile. It's yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. a bunch. What's your biggest with the stick? Um. I, honestly, I haven't measured anything that I've shot with my stick bow, but I would say probably the mid 170s. Is that that one from last year where you were naked? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did have my underwear on, and it is on video, so it will be seen in the future. And it won't be one of those blurred out videos either. <laughs> <laughs> you tidy wipes. I saw a clip of that, and I was laughing, thinking, you know, 10 years ago, I would have thought, what's this idiot doing? Now I'm thinking, I'll go buck naked if I have to, because right. noise is a it's a problem. Oh, man. It's, yeah, that's, you know, when you get to where you're hunting with a stick bow and trying to get into, you know, feet rather than, you know, 50 yards, because um, you don't really know, you know, every scenario is going to unfold a little differently. I mean, I've shot, I, I shot one buck. The furthest I've shot a, a deer at is about 40 yards with my stick bow. And then the closest I've shot is probably about eight feet. Yeah. And so you really don't know which situation you're going to be faced with on any given stock, on any given hunt. And, um, you know, this is the time when you need all of your stuff to be just dead quiet. And, you know, that comes all the way down to your bino harness, the fabric, you know, that your bino harness is made out of loose straps on your bino harness. Because, I mean, really, when you get down to, um, you know, to stock and something like that, uh, that close, you obviously you're going to be, you know, your backpack. Well, not obviously. If it's under your control, you're not going to have your backpack on. Your boots are going to be off. You're going to have socks on. Um, I wear one of those shaggy hats I got from Cabela's just mm-hmm. for, uh, and I wear face paint. Um, and I've had instances where I feel like that has made the difference for me. And it's one of those small differences. But if you've got a deer staring at you from less than 10 yards um, and you have that extra fraction of a second to get a shot off because your outline of your head is broken up and your face is camouflaged, you don't have that glaring reflection from your skin. Um, I, you know, I feel like I've filled tags where I wouldn't have if I would have gone, you know, without a hat on and without face paint. I mean, ideally you're sneaking up on something, the thing has no idea you're around, but, you know, I, um, take for instance, I shot a deer two years ago in Colorado where I snuck up in my underwear, had to, well, I had to patch, I had to push through about, 
I don't know, 30 yards of solid willows to get on a group of, I don't know, there's probably 10 or 12 bucks that were all bedded up inside this willow patch. And I got in to less than 10 yards from one bedded directly below me. There was another one feeding it about 15 yards, another one feeding it about 25 yards. And I was able to get in on these deer without them hearing me because, you know, I'd taken those precautions. I, um, I had socks on. I had actually taken my pants off because the, the pants I was wearing were super quiet. But when you've got brush, you know, willows dragging against you, um, it's going to be quieter against your skin than it is going to be against pretty much any fabric that's out there. And, uh, and then I got in on this deer. I, I shot at him. I missed him on my first shot. And, uh, and you know, the deer actually ran towards me cause he didn't know where I was. And then I shot him again the second time at, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 yards, something like that. Um, and by then he had picked up the movement of me drawing my bow and I poked my head back up my, you know, above the willows at full draw. Um, but because I was wearing that shaggy hat and my face was camouflaged, I don't think he knew what I was. And it just gave me that split second to get that shot off. And I double lunged him and, you know, he went 30 or 40 yards and piled up. Yeah, it is epic with the stick bow. <clears throat> I have, I must say, there's things that I worry about now that I never yeah. kind of made. I, I got to say, we were talking about with Lander because he wears, he looks like a Sam Squatch. He wears a ghillie suit uh-huh. um, or a, I guess it's, what do they call it? Leafy suit. suit. Yeah. I may go to the leafy suit up top, um, mm-hmm. cut the, all the shit off the left arm so I don't hit it just because it's hard to pick him out. Lander's not a set of car keys. I mean, he's two and a half bills, I would say. <laughs> I mean, he's big. Yeah. But, I mean, he just looks like a big pile of brush. Right. Um, you know, and I, I get – people make fun of me for wearing camo paint, but I don't know. Maybe it's ingrained in me from the Army, but, man, when you're, f- like, calling in a guy, yeah, his face sticks out. Oh, I big mean, time. bad. And then tree stand hunting is another one where you watch a guy in a tree. The only thing you see is his face. Yeah. I mean, the deer is awfully much more alert than a human is, so – yeah, it's not just the color of your face. It's the fact that you're, yeah, you got glare because your skin is a little oily and and it reflects a light like the your clothing fabric doesn't. And and I think I don't think people take into account, you know, the importance of that. I mean, I see a lot of guys that hunt elk that that uh, that don't wear face camo, um, and maybe you can get away with it more with elk, but. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer in it for deer. I do. I will say, and I, I camo up a lot. Now, I wore Hardy's paint. Now, maybe it's just my reflect my skin. I'm strongly suggesting, sorry, Hardy's, my shit fell off. It looked like I was 70. Like, it literally rotted my skin off my face. Aye, aye. And uh, you remember that when I came? <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. fucked up. The nature's like, paint, is that what you're going to say? Nature's paint's yeah. awesome. Nature's yeah, like nature's paint, paint it's a, like a lip balm. Okay. And so it's super quick. You just, you know what uh-huh. I mean? And that stuff, and that's, I mean, we like, she's super cool, but I mean, that stuff is super simple because it's just literally in a stick. And you so can, different colors, like chapstick. Yeah. Chapstick yeah. tubes with different colors. Yeah. yeah. Three, so in me, I do a one big swipe and I smear it with my yeah. finger and then another one. Well, this Hardy stuff, it didn't come off. It don't, I'm yeah, not that's kidding. annoying. It, it it literally, when I peeled it off, you ever watch a, like a Mission Impossible where they grab their face and they peel uh-huh. it off? Yep. And it's like, holy yep. shit, Frank, yourself. <laughs> right. That's yeah. how it was. And I literally, it affected the fate, my, my skin on my face so bad. We had to go and get this special 
rejuvenation aye, aye. cream because it looked like I was 70. <laughs> like it, beauty salon Jesus, on. it was – I can't – was it uh, – oh, yeah, it, it was, was a couple of seasons ago, right? It was bad. Yeah, it was <laughs> – and I mean it was great pain as far as it didn't come off. But I mean I, I don't want to look like I'm 70. So I've had great luck with Carbo Mask and Nature's Paint as far as um, not getting zits yeah. and eating away my skin. But the thing is, is like um, – with like you're talking about with the 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 human eye and the, the the animal's eye or whatever, if I see your face that fast, there's no doubt the deer is going to pick it up ten times faster than a, the human probably would. So right. yeah, the the ghillie suit or the leafy suit is something I've been seriously considering just rolling it up. It doesn't weigh anything and, and yeah. wearing that on a final stock. I've got one of those Rancho uh, Rancho Safaris. Um, and uh, it's their ultralight one. I haven't hunted with it yet. I've pulled it out several times. I've even backpacked it in on more than one occasion, um, but I haven't yet used it. But I, man, it it is such a difference in the way that breaks up your outline. And and uh, I had to pull the thing back out again and and uh, trim it up and and you know put it to work because you know if you're gonna like antelope hunting, spot and stock antelope hunting would be a perfect application for it. Or if you're gonna you know if you're backpacked in and you're going to sit a water hole or something like that and you don't have the benefit of a ground blind and something like that with just some you know other natural camouflage around you would really do well for breaking up your outline alberta is the one i'm really thinking of um yeah i think uh levi morgan and i are hunting at the same time up there this year and in lander i you know, wants me to shoot a bigger deer. Levi yeah. talks shit about stick bow shooters, so <laughs> he really wants me to shoot. And uh, the thing is, up there, there is no, there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's flat. I mean, you've been up there. We talked about it yeah. before. And so I know, like, watching Lander from, you know, 800 yards off, it's hard. When he stops, it's hard to see him. Yeah. He's got an old beat-up ASAT leafy mm-hmm. suit. It's just hard to see him. So that's something I'm probably going to implement this year or whatever. I don't, with that, um, with that, it is so much more of a challenge not to keep talking about shooting a traditional bow, but it is it is a lot. I hate to say funner because sometimes I want to snap that fucker in half over my knee, but you see so much more animal behavior because usually at yeah. 80, I kill it, right, or 50 right. or whatever, where now about three hours later, I'm getting close to maybe getting a shot or, or whatever, but I don't know. What are you yeah. thinking, Frank? You're smiling over there, you son of a bitch. You crazy trad folks. Yeah. What were you uh, saying? I was going to uh, say I've been thinking the last few days, you know, just about the, uh, um, you know, I think that there are a lot of guys like are into challenges, you know. So that, that's, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of guys backpack hunt because it increases the challenge physically. I mean, there are benefits, too. You're also getting away from people. You're seeing more animals typically. Um, but, you know, say a guy who comes from rifle hunting and wants a greater challenge, so he goes to bow hunting and then, uh, you know, maybe he's uh, – uh, or maybe goes from rifle hunting to long range rifle hunting. Um, but then I, th- I see a lot of people gravitate from shooting a rifle to then shooting a compound. And then um, it's kind of interesting, though, that you'll s- there's, you know, a lot of these guys that are, um, you know, big in the industry that have been been shooting a bow for decades now and are extremely successful. Um, and you would think that there would be more progression towards that challenge of shooting a stick bow. And let's say, um, you know, I was talking about Cam Haynes and my mule deer hunt. 
um, earlier. So I'll pick on him, for example. Um, I mean, the guy obviously. No one cares. Just work harder, South. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he's uh, extremely successful, obviously, with a bow. Um, he's extremely physical fit, physically fit. He's always seeking, you know, greater challenge. So he goes from, you know, running a marathon to running, um, you know, doing a hundred miler to doing, you know, these, uh, 200 mile plus races. And, and, uh, it, I always kind of thought it was interesting that he hasn't taken that step. Um, and again, this is just singling him out just cause it was, I had brought him up earlier that, you know, that he hasn't in why he hasn't you know, decided to pick up a stick bow and uh, just the psychology behind that. If the chances of success or, or the fewer successful, you know, whether it be social media or, or whatever the motivation is. Um, but I mean, you're going to shooting a stick bow, you're going to be less successful. I mean, as far as punching the number of tags, I've done pretty well myself. I, I haven't, I'm I've not even going to say it. I'm not going to jinx myself because I'm I'm doing good. Yeah, no, but you if are. I, if for I sure. say anything, I'm going to fuck up, not kill anything this year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I think it's just you know, you step up, just like that. If you were going out there and shooting a rifle, you'd be slaying all kinds of stuff. But then you go to shooting a bow, and you are um, you are consciously restricting or reducing your chances for success um, by, you know, switching from a, a rifle to to a bow and arrow. And then again, doing that from a compound to a recurve. But if you just keep kind of stepping up the um, the effort that you're putting into it and, um, you know, obviously through the years, you've gained a lot of experience. And, uh, and so you're utilizing that experience and then also continuing to learn because of the um, the greater challenge there. I, I think that there's a lot of people that could, um, you know, benefit from, from as a hunter, as their hunting skills, their out, their woodsmanship skills, all of that by, um, you know, transitioning once they kind of maybe feel like they've plateaued. I mean, I'll be t- perfectly honest with you. I wasn't prepared mentally myself when I made that transition Be and it was, yeah, I can spell that out. But I, I bought Stalker Recurves in 2007. I ended up changing the name to Stalker Stickbows. Anyway, bought it 2007. In 2008, I hunted with my compound. Um, I had my well, I hunted with both. I had my compound strapped to my backpack, and I had my recurve <laughs> in my hand. You know, and uh, fortunately, I ended up killing a buck with my recurve, and and uh, then spent the rest of the time elk hunting with my recurve. But I, you know. I was in that position, um, and so I'm kind of I guess I'm answering my own question in that uh, you know I felt like, geez, I I'll never be successful, you yeah. know, hunting with a recurve, and and uh, it's just you know hard work and perseverance, and and it can be done. You, I sold how much shit did you get of mine when I sold all my compound stuff? I got quite a few few things. Yeah, you sold I'm, a lot of it though, because I knew I. Probably wouldn't be able to, like if you yeah. put a cookie in the house, I'm eating that fucker, right? Yeah. I, so I didn't need that cookie sitting in the garage. So I sold everything I had and en- engulfed myself in it. And I, that's how I am with anything from photography. But the other thing too was what happens when you when you get knocked down? Like that was the big like Lander kept telling me that, and 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 lucky for me, the first day I got knocked down three times and I missed yeah. a deer. Well, within what I thought was my effective range, not still to this day certain how the fuck I even missed it, right? <laughs> I don't know. But I, 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 you know, that was the thing. When we went back out, I told Frank, I was like, I got to get close. We didn't know it was going to be like three feet or less, but I was like, I got to get close. Well, it was funny because then we ended up shooting one at, 
I mean, literally closer than me to you. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, well, that helped my, you know, that I've got some mojo back, but I still don't know if I can shoot for shit because I shot it with something I got spirited at. So, right. you know, it's one of those things where too, like staying, you know, focused and not letting maybe failure yeah. really get you down. I mean, uh, we'll see how, you know, this year goes, but I mean- if it, if it, I, I get, I, I have a lot of, I'm, I get to shoot a lot and that helps. I mean, yeah. I do choose to shoot a lot in times where maybe I should be doing cardio. I'm, I'm shooting, um, you know, where I, I should be working out and I'm shooting, but I, I feel, you know, strongly, you know, you kind of mentioned Cam, Justin Davis, that little peckerwood is, is multiple times brought up on forums that if you, you should get closer, it's bow hunting. And he's poked fun at me about it. Cause I've taken some animals far away. So, I really want guys like that to pick up the stick bow. And truthfully, I, I personally think that you really can tell how good of a hunter you are. That's why I have so much respect for you. I watched that video over and over and I'm like, yeah, I know how he feels now because it is truly a game changer on if you can't shoot, you better be sneaky. Yeah. If you're not sneaky, you better be able to shoot. And right. if you can do both, which I'm not nearly as sneaky as you, it certainly helps. But all of that definitely is like a super big challenge. And I mean, I don't know. Like, he probably gets tired of me. I shoot every night. And last night, I'm probably going to go to jail eventually. I'm flinging arrows over the street I live on, (laughs) watching arrow flight. But, like, Amy laughs because when I had the compound, I didn't really – I don't know. Did you ever see me excited to shoot? I just didn't. Yeah. It wasn't for me. I mean, it got to a point where I'd get a new bow. It'd sit in the box for a month before I'd put it together. Right. Where now, like, I look at your bows, I get trad wood, right? I'm like, <laughs> Jesus, that's a beautiful bow. Like, holy cow. And and uh, you get kind of engulfed in it. And I think a lot of people that have lost, it has reinvigorated my love for archery, I guess, talking yeah. about. And I think it's a good deal. And definitely, obviously, your bows, everybody definitely check out Stalker Stick Bows and the video. So if you're slightly nervous about buying a stick bow buy the video and that'll make you buy the stick bow just watching that video is, is pretty <laughs> epic the one with your wife kills me because you're like there's a deer it's a big deer yeah. and i was like holy shit i can't believe that um yeah that was something else man she glassed that i, I mean th- this deer should not it was one of those kind of western exposure afternoon sun blazing on this on the side hill and we literally we just hiked over the ridge first day that we were hunting and within you know 30 minutes she had glassed up this pope and young buck 30 minutes of leaving our camp you know four days of gear packed on her back to do a bivouac uh hunt and uh and she glasses up this buck it was a a beautiful buck and i snuck down there you know 25 yards and shot right under that's (laughs) the one where i saw your elbow come in and when i first watched that i had no idea you know what how Uh form or anything and then i watched it later and i didn't know because you shot low what it was but i was like this is probably why i overdraw because i watch guys collapse a Mm -hmm. lot so now though we were in the tree stand and i drew back to my broadhead yeah i got a full length arrow and i literally feel the broadhead hit my finger and i'm like yeah whoops (laughs) what am i doing that's two inches longer than my draw like what the hell am i doing and i think it's been ingrained in me to not collapse and Uh that i overdraw and you can tell on the clicker i shoot a far shot she's clicking early like i'm like really getting it so that clicker has definitely you know helped me but yeah i think that a lot of people would enjoy it more than they probably think they may not be 
as successful initially. Maybe they will be, but they'll probably get more out of it. I guarantee you'll certainly see a lot more animal behavior because uh, you're not going to, I mean, you yeah, got to wait. You take that first hunt on that DVD, um, that Colorado hunt where, uh, you know, I I can't remember. I think I missed four bucks on oh, that. I was crying for you. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, just, I mean, it's funny to see because I'm pretty good about shaking stuff off and, uh, and then, you know, pushing on and not letting yesterday's failure affect you know me that day and uh to to see you know the the my demeanor and expressions and how i was handling myself on you know the first day it's like oh you know bummer i missed that one okay let's go find another one and then by you know day eight it was uh just (laughs) i was pretty dejected when i missed that last one that jumped the string on me man it was just like i couldn't believe it it was you know at some point you're going to run out of opportunities and i felt like it was you know i was down running out of time and and we had blown this basin out and it just goes to show you you know keep a positive uh you know mindset and that goes a long ways towards um you know your success you're gonna you're gonna work harder while you're in the field if you're able to keep a positive of mindset than if you are, um, you know, just down in the dumps, you're, you're going to not going to be getting out of bed early in the morning. You're not going to be staying on your glassing spot, glassing as long. You're going to be taking more breaks. You're, you're just not going to be putting in the effort as if you, you know, are really mentally in the game hundred percent. Yeah. You hear that Frank? So if I miss four, you got to stick with me. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're still in. <laughs> yeah, there's still still can happen. Well, one thing I have to when I'm like you, I can shake stuff off, and I've talked to to Brian about that because he doesn't. I can shake it off, like whether it be guys talking shit on the internet or I'm like ah whatever and keep going. But you also have to, you know, it, it for me, I have to assess what happened. Like for me, it's very important. Like where where the fuck did it fall out the bottom? Like what did I do uh-huh. wrong? And and with the stick, there's sometimes I have no idea really right, <laughs> exactly right. what happened. I will say though, even like on specific situations, like you're talking about, you missed a deer, missed deer. With that stick bow, it's quiet enough. Their yeah. follow-up shots oh, are very high likely. The bear, for example, I missed the first shot. Mm-hmm. Lander talked to me about this, that, that most hunters wouldn't have, like, the wherewithal to know to stay put because it'll come back out. It didn't really know what happened. And so I, that's what I did. I just thought, well, if I don't hear him run off, he's hungry. He's going to come back out and eat. Little did I know it. I don't know if you heard the whole story, but it circled behind me. And next thing you know, I'm uh-huh. shooting it from me to you. But <laughs> I, uh, again, when it started huffing, I was like, oh, I'm in the game. This motherfucker's going to die today. And I flew over that hill, huffing back at it. My point being, I could have very easily shot, missed, and walked off. Right. And a lot of guys I've seen do that. And, and especially if you're watching a guy in a spotter, he shoots, misses, throws his bow down. And the deer, the sheep runs up 30 yards and stops to look back and sees what happened. Well, his bow's on the ground. Right. You're, you're never really out of it until you're out of it, you know, or until you take yourself out of it. And yep. I mean, that bear's different. I mean, it's a bear. It's not whatever. But I mean, you know, it, 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 I certainly could have just got up and walked off after the first shot. And as it turns out, it ended up being one hell of a story. I mean, you know, I, as far as it goes, it's coming out of the woods with no quit. I didn't have an arrow left. And and Gary thought I was looking for the blood trail. <laughs> I was trying to find my arrow to go shoot <laughs> right. it again because I was out of ammo. And he's like, did you get it? Did you get a shot? <laughs> like, Gary, I don't have any ammo left. And uh, But, you know, again, compound or traditional bow, 
um, staying in it and, uh, you know, kind of having the, the foresight or the common sense to kind of assess what's going on while all that's happening, I think is very important. And I've seen a lot of guys or yell. I hate it when guys yell when they miss. It's like, oh, Jesus, man. man. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, not only are you spooking it further right then, but you may be blowing it out for the next day or, or you know, later in the week or whatever. And, and uh, not to mention anything else within earshot, because I've gotten, you know, multiple shots of the same animal multiple times. And uh, you just never know how it's going to like. I mean, just earlier, I talked about just shooting that that buck uh, two years ago on the second arrow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Frank, I get like for him, Frank got altitude sickness when about died i literally like yeah. pulmonary edema well you came back in and killed one the first day yeah yeah and i was I mean, telling south about it. it was the i had seen those bucks earlier when i was scouting the f- before season and those two were still together they had shed their their velvet we were also talking about that but yeah they were still there yeah yeah and you killed it the first afternoon stock. of the first hunt or yeah. the morning uh, like noon. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of guys won't, you know, I mean, you can't kill it if you're not out there. So, I mean, the stick bow definitely pushes me more towards that kind of thinking or whatever that you got to be there to make it happen. And when you have to be that patient, especially when I'm not, it's made me be patient. It is amazing how much more happens when you don't take the shot at 50 or 80. Right. And in my case, I actually have probably killed bigger shit because I have to wait and bigger animals have come around. I've killed them. Sure. Um, where before, if you just, oh, look, there's a five by five and then I wing an arrow and kill it and whatever, where this time it's like, oh, man, did you little th- I know there was 18 other elk around. But yeah, so it is it is interesting um, with your with your bows. What do you, what's your lead time at right now? Right now we are um, about five months and shrinking to, towards four. Yeah. And so I, with this third guy I hired, I'm hoping that, you know, come post hunting season that will be down to in that two to three month range. Yeah. And uh, ideally that's where I'd like to be. I mean, I'd like to have those two guys within, you know, a two month or six to eight, six to eight weeks would be ideal. I used to be at that when I was doing it myself and, and, uh, but man, it just, we've, uh, we've been enjoying a lot of success. And, yeah. and so it's been, you know, a good problem to have, but it stresses me out when, uh, you know, when, when it's a, a lead time gets that far out. What's your, what's your number one selling bow? Wow. Uh, probably my coyote model, you know, um, I, I do a, a coyote model that has, um, it's a takedown recurve or longbow. So again, to interchange longbow or recurve limbs on the same riser. And, uh, and then I've got it, the Wolverine is just a recurve and then I'm building an ILF now and I'm, um, which you're able to interchange limbs from manufacturer to manufacturer. And I'm doing recurve limbs on that currently. And I've got some prototype longbow limbs actually out in my truck that I'm going to be shooting this fall oh, myself. Cool. So that's cool. Yeah. We've got a pretty good um, variety. We also build some one piece longbows, um, but I'm more known for my takedown recurves. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I get a shit ton of questions about it. That's coyote is one of the main ones I get yeah. questions about. Now, if a guy like my build, so I shoot, 29 and a half inch draw, um, you know, I shoot three under and 55 to 60 pounds. What, what bow would you suggest for me out of your line? 
Uh, you could certainly shoot that coyote. I mean, I think a lot of guys transitioning from uh, shooting a compound like that slimmer grip on the coyote mm-hmm. model. And uh, so it seems like a lot of people gravitate towards that one. Another advantage of that uh, model is that I can build a set of limbs to you and ship them to you without you having to ship the bow back to me to fit the limbs to the riser. So that makes it really handy. And and uh, I build a lot of limbs for guys, you know, either, a, you know, say a lighter weight set that they can shoot during, you know, for 3Ds or in indoor in the off season, or if they're doing a moose hunt and they feel like they want to shoot a little heavier poundage or what have you, then uh, a lot of guys will end up ordering a second set of limbs. Gotcha. And then what do you, your bows are relatively cheap in comparison to a lot of competitors. What are your bows like for a, a coyote? Uh, let's say you got two risers on that, don't you? Uh, three. Yeah. Three. Okay. So they hit a price point of 750, 850 and 950, depending on the bow model there. And then um, with uh, different wood upgrades, the price can run up from there. Or if you want some you know, fancier uh, workmanship with footed limbs and stuff like that, then you can push the price up. But yeah, basically you can get into one on the low end for 750 bucks gotcha. for a custom made bow. Yeah. And some of the bows I don't, and it took me a while for me to wrap my head around this. Some of it's fluff. Um, mm-hmm. is what you're, you know, sure. you're paying for. And some people like that. Yep. Um, and then some of it, you know, the, the thing for me is I always look at obviously is what's in the limbs is I'm learning this, um, you know, cause some bows you're literally, you're getting the same performance out of the bow. You're, you know, you're getting the different right. options, but you're like, I tried to price out the other day, one of yours, um, for a totally pimped out, like crazy, Lot you know with a lot of extras on it even on your high end bows your twelve hundred is about as high as you can get isn't it I think I've built it like you know with say some of the more expensive exotic woods and a checkered riser and I think the most expensive one I've built is around sixteen hundred yeah yeah so which um, is pretty damn good yeah but uh, most of the bows I build fall under twelve yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah no and that's you know looking at like a, a black tail Jesus you can buy a car um, yeah like, you yeah know, which are they. Five, six, seven grand. Oh my God. Um, yeah, they, they build some beautiful bows. They do a lot of, you know, hand inlay work and what have you. But it's, uh, you know, a lot of that, I'd have a hard time even pulling it out in the field myself for fear of damaging it. You know, I'm not easy on bows anyway. I mean, I'm not as bad as some. You saw Tommy. He just throws, you know, flings uh-huh. on the ground. And I talking with uh, uh, Randy Cooling. He's funny because he's had to throw her off cliffs before because he can't get down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it's definitely more about, you know, function um, on that end. But, yeah, that, that I mean, that's really good prices for bows because a lot of them um, – well, I think you and I talked. I think I bugged you that you should raise your – I think I told you. I was like, dude, yeah. why don't you raise your prices? Cause- yeah, I, I raised them <laughs> just minimally this last catalog that came out. Um, but I think that there was more room for it, you know, for – but I, at the same time, I want to make them, you know, affordable and, and – uh, um, I mean, maybe it's my own detriment, but um, it's uh, you know I'm I'm making a comfortable living. I'm not trying to become a millionaire, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm enjoying it. And and uh, if I can get more people shooting them right now, that's kind of what uh, you know what I'd love to do. Yeah, I, it should be four guys pestering you today because after that video, I had a bunch of guys message me. Um, 
And I, it's, it's kind of weird, like how that works as far as uh, your name is well known in the West, like super well known. Cause that's one of the first bows people ask me about. Huh. Um, and so generally I wanted to make sure why I asked you a minute ago, I'm not giving him shitty info because sure. anybody longer dry, tell him to get a coyote. Yeah. But I don't even know if I'm giving him the right info, but that's what I would have bought. Sure. So, well, you can, it really has more of a, um, it's more about bow length necessarily than the bow model. Yeah. So like any of my bows, I can accommodate those longer jaw lengths but gotcha. um so that that's kind of more i mean there are differences in the limbs as well but you know you're not going to want to shoot a 56 inch bow with a 30 inch draw length it's just you're you're pushing the physical capabilities of what the limbs can do how far they can bend right, um, right. And, and, that- a, and a lot of guys they they you know, think that shorter is better because it's more maneuverable. Um, but really a longer bow is going to be more accurate, more smooth and more forgiving. I mean, look at the Olympic archers, they're shooting 70 inch recurves. Yeah. They're not shooting short ones. Yeah. No, I, I've tried to shoot a shorter bow a couple of times. They just didn't pan out for yeah. me. I'm a 62, 64 inch guy. And, but that's what I was looking at. You had a few different riser options. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I know like the one, like you went, uh, I think 60 to 64 inch on the one coyote, you had options as far as length mm-hmm. um, on the one riser. So either way, well, cool, man. Well, yeah, definitely guys, uh, I suggest for everyone to check out stalker stick bows and get the video. Even if you're a compound guy, get the video. Cause it'll definitely make you feel uh, like you should get closer anyway, just because it's cool watching you ninja in on all those mm-hmm. deer. Yeah. And that's available on my website, stalker stick bows dot com and and uh one shameless plug i do have a podcast and i should have probably plugged it last time i was here with you but the western <laughs> bow hunter podcast yeah so if you want to hear me more more of me rambling then uh then there's a good outlet for it i don't know i've got uh, close to 100 episodes in the bank something like you that you got a bunch on there yeah. and that's just westernbowhunter.com uh it's it now it's the western bowhunter podcast so it's you know itunes stitcher whatever all those platforms it's available i don't have a website on there i'd run it any of the the you know merchandise product that i i run it through my stalker um uh, page there so or stalker store it's easier for me just to consolidate it into one location gotcha cool cool well man thanks for uh thanks for coming on here ah, sure thing we're sure definitely thing. gonna have to fling arrows soon we'll have to get that pencil then you guys yeah. can join in on the arrow flinging and make fun of us yeah I, I end of june here should be uh open on my end if i can catch you at a time when you're not out fishing yeah no no kidding it may be a bear hunting we'll see but yeah definitely but everybody check out stalker stick bows and uh the video and uh south's bows and everything he does definitely a wealth of knowledge thanks south uh thank you